Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. So glad that you could join us for a look at the book, the book we're looking at today, the book of Zechariah. I have a six-part series on the book of Zechariah. This is a book that will help you understand the times in which we're living. You know, many people talk about the Jewish feast and the fulfillment of these Jewish feasts. Well, this study that we're going to take right now in Zechariah helps us to understand the fulfillment of the feast. That's just in a moment, but let me tell you, this is a six-part audio series on CD that is available to you, and after we have our study, I'll tell you how you can get your own personal copy so you can study through the book of Zechariah. But right now, let's spend a few moments taking a look at the book, the book of Zechariah and the fulfillment of the Jewish feast. Now, where do these feasts come from? Well, go keep your finger in Zechariah, but go back with me to Leviticus chapter 23 just a moment. Leviticus is a very interesting book. You know, Leviticus is the first book that every male Jewish boy starts to study at about the time of two years of age when his father can start relating to him something about it. And Leviticus is is such an exciting book, and the fact is that there is such neat meat in there. You say, wait a minute, Jimmy, why would we be interested in Leviticus? The book of Leviticus actually lays out the qualifications for being a priest. It lays out the information about the sacrificial activities. What does that do for us today? Well, let me remind you, all Bible scripture has a technical interpretation and a spiritual application. The technical interpretation means who is it speaking to, what's the subject they're talking about, what's the time in which it is, give me the geographical location, the historical background. And so technically interpreted, Scripture is talking to a special type of people or a certain type of people. Now, definitely, the book of Leviticus is not speaking to you or me today. I'm not qualified to be a priest. You're not qualified to be a priest. We're not going to be involved in the sacrificial activities or at least have to know that about it. So a technical interpretation of Leviticus is not effective for me, and it's not appropriate for me, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the exact same thing. The Sermon on the Mount, that technically interpreted, is not for me. It's how you're going to live in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. But remember, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. And it's profitable for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for, uh, you know, all the things it's profitable for. So in addition to a technical interpretation, all of Scripture has a spiritual application. And the spiritual application, for example, of the book of Leviticus, you know what? The word holiness is used 87 times in the book of Leviticus. You want to find out something about the holiness of God? Study the book of Leviticus. Those sacrificial systems that were set up was to make manifest the holiness of God. So all scripture has a spiritual application, but remember a technical interpretation as well. Don't misuse Scripture. Be very careful. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, we now see that God is going to give something to the Jewish people. Listen to me. Technical interpretation of Leviticus 23 is to the Jewish people. Why am I trying to emphasize that? Because in 1988, we had a man who wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ is Coming in 1988. 
He didn't come in 88, so in 1989 he wrote another book, 89 Reasons Why He's Coming in 89. I didn't see in 1990 any books by this man. I was confronted by him when I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, doing a prophecy conference, and he continually sends me all kind of literature that I just throw in a can immediately. Because he based his 1988 book on the fact that Jesus Christ was going to come on the Feast of Trumpets, one of the trumpets, and the rapture, the trumpet will sound, and the rapture will... And it's because he took a technical interpretation of Leviticus 23 and appropriated it, made it a spiritual application, and that is not there. We will, and I'll show you in just a moment, we will have derived benefits from the seven feasts that God is going to give the Jewish people. But technically interpreted, those feasts are not for us until the millennial kingdom when we will be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles as all the peoples of the universe will be doing. Zechariah chapter 14, and we want to delve into the fulfillment of the feast. Now we have looked at an introduction in our first session together to the book of Zechariah, the person of Zechariah, the prophecies of Zechariah, and Zechariah as the priest. In our second session together, we began to look at the eight visions of Zechariah, which is the first section, the first six chapters of the book of Zechariah. We looked on our first study at the three visions that pertain to the Gentile people, the visions of the Gentiles, and that was vision one, two, and eight. Then last time we got together, the other five visions, and those are visions of the Jew. We talked about where they came from, what their purpose was here on the earth, and the visions that God gave them, laying out the program for the Jewish people, and those are visions 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Looking at vision 8 as well as it relates to that final time of bringing the Jew into a position of receiving Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Now we want to look at chapters 7 and 8. We're starting in chapter 14, though, because there's a very interesting statement in verse 16 that talks about one of the feasts that God gave to Israel that is going to be celebrated by all of us. Chapter 14 of Zechariah is after, and we'll study this the last day together, but it's after Jesus Christ comes, plants his feet on the Mount of Olives, the battle of Armageddon takes place, the kingdom is set up, the temple, according to Zechariah 6.12, is refurbished, repaired, or rebuilt, whatever has to take place at that point in time. And so the temple is standing in the city of Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom after the seven-year tribulation period. Verse 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king. That's the first thing they're going to do. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. Worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Now that's talking about everybody on the earth. Everyone. All nations, if you continue to read through chapter 14, every single body on the earth is going to come to Jerusalem once a year to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. Now that is confirmed also, keep your finger here and look back at Ezekiel just for a second, Ezekiel chapter 45. Ezekiel chapter 45. 
to 46 is talking about the rebuilding of the temple, the millennial temple that will be standing with unbelievably minute details as to how this temple will be erected. It also talks about some of the practices that will take place in the temple. Chapter 45 says sacrifices will be reinstituted when the millennial temple is standing. As I understand, Ezekiel 45 along with Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 28, the temple is going to be in Jerusalem for eternity. Throughout eternity, not only the millennial kingdom, but throughout eternity. And I do believe that we'll be observing the three feasts that are talked about and directed that we observe here in chapter 45 of the book of Ezekiel. Verse 7, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 18 says, And thus saith the Lord God, in the first month, on the first day of the month, there shall be a sacrifice performed. Look then, and verse 21, And in the first month, in the fourteenth day of the month, ye shall observe or have the Passover. Okay, a feast of seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. And then look down in verse 25, And in the seventh month, and in the fifteenth day of that month, shall he do like in the Feast of Seven Days, and we'll see in just a moment, that is the Feast of Tabernacles. So when the temple is standing, we will observe three feasts a year. The first month, the first day, that is the Feast of the New Year. The first month, the 14th and 15th day, Passover, unleavened bread, together. We'll look at those in just a moment. And then in the seventh month, in the 15th day, we're going to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you know that that's what every male Jew is responsible for doing? Deuteronomy 16, 16 says, and also Exodus chapter 23, says that once a year, or excuse me, excuse me, three times per year, every male Jew must go to Jerusalem to observe three feasts, three times a year. He is to go there for the feast of Passover. That's one we'll celebrate throughout eternity. He is then to go there again, just a little bit more than 50 days later, for the feast of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, Acts 2-5, Jews gathered from every nation of the world. Thirdly, he is to go there in the seventh month for the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a directive that every male Jew had a responsibility to do that. No matter where he was in the world, he had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts as the temple stood there. They continue to do that today. By the way, Jesus Christ did it in his day. If you want to study Jesus and his participation in the feast, look at the Gospel of John. John chapter 2, he celebrates the first of three Passovers recorded in the Gospel of John. It was after the miracles performed, it says, in Cana of Galilee. Then he went to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. That's the first time he walked into the temple and cast those money changers out of the temple. That's when he said, you see this temple? He talking of his body. They think he was talking of the building. Destroy it, and in three days I'll bring it back. And he said that, it says in John chapter 2, so that when it happened, they would know he was who he said he was. That's why he gives his prophecy in the first place. So when it does come to pass, we can know he was who he said he was. He then, in chapter 5 of the book of John, observes the Feast of Trumpets. And you can study that. You can look at it later and, and see how he observes the Feast of Trumpets. In chapter 6, he observes the second Passover. 
Chapter 6 is the recording of the feeding of 5,000. That took place at the time of Passover. In chapter 7, he observes in the Gospel of John the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, they don't record every time, all three times a year, that he would go up to Jerusalem, but just certain ones for a special purpose. The study of chapter 7 of the Gospel of John and the Feast of Tabernacles is unbelievable. I mean, that is a great study in itself. But he observes the Feast of Tabernacles in chapter 7. In chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, he again, the third Passover, is observed. Remember, that's what they're doing, recording what took place at the Passover Seder. John 13 and 14 is what happened at that last Passover Seder before his crucifixion. So Jesus Christ was obedient to the directive from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 16, 16, that three times a year he would go to Jerusalem to observe Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles. Now, where did these feasts come from? Well, go, keep your finger in Zechariah, but go back with me to Leviticus chapter 23 just a moment. Leviticus is a very interesting book. You know, Leviticus is the first book that every male Jewish boy starts to study at about the time of two years of age when his father can start relating to him something about it. And Leviticus is such an exciting book, and the fact is that there is such neat meat in there. You say, wait a minute, Jimmy, why would we be interested in Leviticus? The book of Leviticus actually lays out the qualifications for being a priest. It lays out the information about the sacrificial activities, what does that do for us today? Well, let me remind you, all Bible scripture has a technical interpretation and a spiritual application. The technical interpretation means who is it speaking to, what's the subject they're talking about, what's the time in which it is, give me the geographical location, the historical background. And so technically interpreted, Scripture is talking to a special type of people or a certain type of people. Now, definitely, the book of Leviticus is not speaking to you or me today. I'm not qualified to be a priest. You're not qualified to be a priest. We're not going to be involved in the sacrificial activities or at least have to know that about it. So a technical interpretation of Leviticus is not effective for me, and it's not appropriate for me, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the exact same thing. The Sermon on the Mount, that technically interpreted, is not for me. It's how you're going to live in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. But remember, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. And it's profitable for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for uh, you know all those things it's profitable for. So in addition to a technical interpretation, all of Scripture has a spiritual application. And the spiritual application, for example, of the book of Leviticus, you know what? The word holiness is used 87 times in the book of Leviticus. You want to find out something about the holiness of God? Study the book of Leviticus. Whew. Those sacrificial systems that were set up was to make manifest the holiness of God. So all scripture has a spiritual application, but remember a technical interpretation as well. Don't misuse Scripture. Be very careful. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, we now see that God is going to give something to the Jewish people. Listen to me. Technical interpretation of Leviticus 23 is to the Jewish people. 
Why am I trying to emphasize that? Because in 1988, we had a man who wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ is Coming in 1988. He didn't come in 88, so in 1989, he wrote another book, 89 Reasons Why He's Coming in 89. I didn't see in 1990 any books by this man. I was confronted by him when I was in Little Rock, Arkansas, doing a prophecy conference, and he continually sends me all kind of literature that I just throw in a can immediately. Because he based his 1988 book on the fact that Jesus Christ was going to come on the Feast of Trumpets, one of the trumpets, and the rapture, the trumpet will sound, and the rapture will... And it's because he took a technical interpretation of Leviticus 23 and appropriated it, made it a spiritual application, and that is not there. We will, and I'll show you in just a moment, we will have derived benefits from the seven feasts that God is going to give the Jewish people. But technically interpreted, those feasts are not for us until the millennial kingdom, when we will be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles as all the peoples of the universe will be doing. Thank you for joining us here as we have taken a look at the book, looking at Zechariah. And really what we've been looking at is the fulfillment of the Jewish feast and how they play into the end time scenario that God's prophetic word reveals to all of us as we study it diligently. By the way, you need to have your copy of Zechariah. It's entitled The Zechariah Perspective. It's a six-part audio series on CD that is available to you. You can call our toll-free number, 877-674-3298, or you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and make your order by going to our shopping mall. The title of this series, The Zechariah Perspective, and it's a six-hour audio series on CD that will help you get a handle on this very important prophetic book. As we study Zechariah, and in fact all of the prophetic books, we become more and more aware every day that the next event in God's calendar of activities, the rapture of the church when Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, and the trumpet of God calls us up to be with him, that that could happen at any moment. In fact, it could happen before I finish the next sentence. And in light of that, there's nothing left for me to say now, except let's keep looking up until...